So let's, uh, let's begin. Um, I woke up today, well, while I was uh, after morning Eucharist, this hymn kept going through my head, and I want to read the last uh, verse of it, and then the prayer that comes right after. This is hymn 508 in our LSB, The Day is Surely Drawing Near. This is the last Friday of the church year, almost the, the second to last day of the church year. So this is an appropriate hymn. So the last stanza says, O Jesus Christ, do not delay, but hasten our salvation. We often tremble on our way in fear and tribulation. O hear and grant our fervent plea. Come, mighty judge, and set us free from death and every evil. Lord Jesus Christ, so govern our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit that, ever mindful of your glorious return, we may persevere in both faith and holiness of living. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. It's a beautiful hymn. It's a beautiful melody. Yeah. Old melody, old words, all 16th century, all good stuff. Okay, last time we met was two weeks ago, and we started uh, talking about, uh, this. that was session seven, so if you have session seven there, if you don't, there are a few session sevens out there. Uh, the likewise wives, likewise husbands. We talked about what all of that meant. And I'm not going to go in too much detail because in session eight, I have a quick review of all of that. But I want to start and finish the last part of page two, where it says, and husbands in the same manner. I kept thinking about this over and over and over, and then I came to perhaps understand this text in a different way. I don't think it's in a new way, right? We said that in the beginning of this class, that anybody, any time somebody says they have a new idea in the church, you've got to feel it out, and sometimes it's not very good, right? Because new things new looks, new this, new that. So that's not what I mean to say. It's not that I have a new view on a certain part of this text. But I want to look at, well, so the, it starts at 5-7, right? And husbands in the same manner. Sorry, 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 3-7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. We talked about what it means to live with understanding, talk to one another, know what each other is thinking, saying, feeling, and needing. Then I started to chew on, show honor, to your wife as the weaker vessel. And what does that sound like to us? And I kept thinking about that. And before I lose my train of thought going down a rabbit hole, this is what this means to me. Just read what he says exactly. Honor the woman as the weaker vessel. For me, that translates into husbands, do not be lazy bums, period. In all honesty, because every commentary that I've read, when it talks about women as weaker vessels, it talks about physically, right? We know that at, through Olympic Games, men run faster. They lift heavier weights. It's just physically, that's how there's a difference. So when it talks about honor your wife, your, the woman, as the weaker vessel, it's saying in my head, your wife is not a pack mule. Your wife is not 
the do-everything person in the house. She's the weaker vessel. And without you, the place doesn't run well. And you without her, the place doesn't run well. Peter is, is attuned to this. This is saying, if you sit on your couch, to the men he's talking to, you men, you're not honoring what God has put in place. People need each other. This is the whole letter. The whole letter is about unity, whether it's unity in the home or unity in the church or how the church deals with the world. So if that honor is not there, if the men come home and don't do what they are called to do as husbands, you are not honoring the woman that's in the house that God has put there with you. I kept thinking about this, and I wrote a few things. She needs you. You need her. I think somebody who could talk much more about this is Pastor Nelson, right? The whole theology of the body thing, this whole coming together of men, man and woman. Spiritual coming together, physical coming together, emotional coming together. Um, so I think that you can read this and sort of be like, oh, woman has the weaker vessel. But I kept thinking and thinking and thinking. And I was like, wait a minute. He's talking to men about who these women are, who the woman in their home is. And if you consider the woman somebody who's not physically as strong as you are, then, well, then what's your role in there? Is it just to say, well, she's not physically strong, but she's still going to be in charge of everything that there needs to be done in the house? You know, she can do everything, and I can just come. So it's an idea I had, and I think I'm going to stick to it. I don't know how you'd read this, but basically in five words or less, that's what I think. Don't be a lazy bum, you husbands. And that's what I wrote down in blue pen this morning. Milena asked, what are you writing? I said, I'll tell you later. But that's what it was. That's what it was. And um, so then he keeps talking. He says, since they are heirs with you to the grace of life, of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And then... What does that mean? Your prayers may not be hindered. This is all review. And then if you see the last quote I have under four. So page two under point four. A beautiful line that says, For nothing hinders the work of God like trouble in the home. Nothing hinders the work of God like trouble in the home. I need to tell nobody in this room about what that is, right? Everybody has faced trouble in the home, and everybody knows that things don't work very well when there's trouble in the home. Things don't get planned. Things don't get done. Communication doesn't work. We don't know what somebody's thinking. We don't know what somebody's feeling when there is trouble in the home. So we actually say to God, we don't need your help because I know what's best. I got it. What I'm thinking is right. right. If you're in a conflict with a sister, a brother, a wife, a husband, a mother, a father, you think you're right. They think they're right. God is not right. So God doesn't work in that conflict. That's why there's a conflict, right? Because I stand my ground, the other person stands their ground. I am God, they are God, and God himself is out of the picture because we're both none of us are humble so God can't work trouble in the home hinders God from working I like that line a lot I think it's very true I think all of us understand what that is yeah and so uh, to finish off this sheet 
Then I have these three little quotes on the bottom. Well, two quotes and one question, a, a line of questions. Would we let imperfect homes shatter our image of God's will, of His order? Or would we let bad husbands define what marriage is? Or would we let unfaithful wives define what marriage is? Or bad children? Or bad parents? And then I gave you Tertullian's quote two weeks ago. But he who is both the head of man and the beauty of the woman, the husband of the church, Christ Jesus, what sort of crown did he put on for both male and female? A crown of thorns. And then from Didymus the blind, the fear of God must come first and govern all the rest. Again, humility, fear of God. So in that... We finish section, this section, the be subject to the human creatures or human institutions. In the next section, servants, be subject to your masters. In the next section, wives, be subject to your husbands. And then husbands, live with understanding with your wives. And then the big culmination, and I love this. This is one of my favorite parts, or has become one of my favorite parts from this letter. The finally. That's what we're going to do today. And that's, so that's where we move on without seams, seamlessly into session eight. Finally, all of you. So today I plan on doing... 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. And maybe you'd say, hmm, that's ambitious for him. But, I don't know, I didn't write too much because I just want to go quickly through this. The first page basically is all review. With the, these words, we expect Peter to tell the whole church, regardless of their calling or vocation, how they ought to live together. Finally, all of you. So from that second point on, it's my review. The apostle begins his letter by addressing the entire church. Verse 1-1, one, one, right? Chapter 1-1. One, one. That's the whole church. Chapter 2, he discusses the church's role in living under and among human institutions or human creatures. This section is addressed to all. In 2, 8 to 25, he starts talking about servants and slaves. What's particular here is that he compares the sufferings of the life of a servant to the sufferings of Christ. He goes from talking to a specific group of people to talking about how a specific man died for all. Chapter 3, Peter speaks to wives. It's debated whether this section is addressed specifically to wives of unbelieving husbands or it can be applied to all wives. We discussed this two weeks ago. And nevertheless, Peter is not directly talking to everybody in the room. Not directly. I'm going to talk about that word a little later. So in 3.7, Peter speaks to all husbands and how they ought to honor their wives and live with them in an understanding manner. Again, he speaks directly to a specific group. However, in 3.8, he returns to addressing the whole church with his finally all of you. So one of my uh, points here, the, the big, the, the second to last one on page one, one could make the argument that Peter's entire letter is for the whole church, regardless if he's talking to servants or wives or husbands or later even pastors. And not specific, right, to specific groups. As we said before, all the listeners are in one room together. Regardless if Peter is addressing servants, wives, husbands, all are learning from the apostles' teaching. And this happens all the time, doesn't it? One just example random example that came to mind is, for example, churches that do children's sermons. Right? The kids come up. Ba, 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 ba. Who is the pastor addressing directly at that time? The children. 
Right? What does everybody else in the room do? Listen. Or leave? Of course not. Right? <laughs> I've heard it said from some people that members, the adult members of the church get more out of the sermon and the children's sermon than the actual <laughs> sermon. But we're not going to get into that because we don't have that problem here. So, uh, but it's that kind of thing, right? Uh, it's uh, one person talking to a specific group and everybody else who's there suddenly can't hear it. When Peter is talking to wives and there are husbands in the room, can they not learn from what's going on? Can they not be touched in their heart? Like, hmm, wow, I'm not helping my wife. I'm not being the husband God has called me to be. Or when Peter is addressing servants and there are masters in the room, can they not also hear? So yes, Peter is talking to servants, wives, husbands, but is he also talking to everyone else? We've all been in this situation where we've been in a place and a specific group of people is being talked to and we learn from that specific. I can't come up with other quick examples, but uh, you know what I mean. So, when we get to 3.8, the last point there on page 1, it shouldn't be a complete surprise that he addresses everyone, for everyone has already been listening. Right? Or the person who's falling asleep then hears the word everyone. They're jolted back to awake. So, 8, I'm sorry, 3, 8, and 9. Let's read that. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. So says the ESV. I'm going to talk about that, how these words are found in, um, in the Greek. It says, um, so you may inherit a blessing. Inherit versus obtain seems very different. Leah, you're getting ahead of the ball game here. That's, what, that's going to be one of my, uh, it's going to be one of my uh, quips with the ESV. That's why I said that. Obtain a blessing versus inherit a blessing. I'm on your team. I'm on your team, Leah. Um, so I have here, this is a, I don't know if I've brought this before. This is a, my prof from St. Louis, the one who preached at my uh, ordination. He uh, put this together. He's a big Greek guy. And this is a New Testament interlinear uh, so it's the Greek text, and right under it is a Portuguese text. But nonetheless, so uh, here he has two versions, for example, an ESV and an NIV, and then the Greek, and then right under it, but it's, a, it's in Portuguese. And you can find this in English any place, but he gave this to me, I think. And so I use it a lot because in the Greek portion, the words under are... Literally what it says. So not, like very, very woodenly. So that's why I brought this today. Because when we look at, for, at 3, 8, all of those words, unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, uh, if, we're, if we have any English teachers or, or in the room, uh, what are those words? If we were to classify those words, what are they? Huh? Sympathy, love, heart, mind. Those are nouns. Yes. Interestingly, in the Greek, it's not nouns, it's adjectives. That's why I wrote them in almost an adjectival way I tried to on the handout. Not the first one, of course, of one mind. Well, yes, be of one mind. No, think alike. No, we can try a better way. Let me see what my prof says here. He says, be all of the same kind of thinking. I like that. 
sympathetic, living as brothers, tender-hearted, humble. So let's go over those. What is his biggest, what's his biggest preoccupation in the church? One of his biggest preoccupations, Peter's is. Or throughout the New Testament. Or if you listen to Pray As You Go, as Milan and I tend to do some mornings. This was this text for today. It was John 17, and it's Jesus' high priestly prayer. And if you go back to John 17, it's Jesus on his knees praying to the Father while things are about to blow apart. What is his big ask to the Father? Unity. 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 That's right. Is that what you were going to say? Unity. Right? One mind. That's right. And that's the first thing that Peter says in this finally. It's this one mind. Be all homo frones. Frones, mind, homo, one, alike, like mind, right? It's key that that's what he puts in right away. Be of like mind. Because he knows divisions are coming. Divisions have already happened in the church, right? You can see them in the Gospels, right? People starting to be suspicious of one another. People actually falling out, right? Not just Judas, but even Peter himself. Right? Peter knows what it's like to not be of one mind in his personal experience. He knows what it's like to say, Jesus, that was the worst idea you ever had. And Jesus is like, hmm, supposed to be of one mind here. So Peter knows what he's talking about when it comes to not being of one mind. So going, uh, looking at this sheet, we agree on what's fundamental who Christ is, where he can be found, who his people are, how they worship him, and how they sound like of one mind. Every pastor has to say this. Not really. Some pastors don't. More and more pastors aren't saying this. Technology is a blessing. But, so, technology is a blessing asterisk, big asterisk at the end of that, huge, at the bottom is people know or think they know more about everything now than ever, right? We just have so much access to this. And one of the things that I've been facing through before seminary, during seminary, not so much here at St. John, which is a good thing, is being in a church where everybody sort of sounds different in terms of what they believe and who Jesus is and what we confess and what our theology is. You know, it's the whole, oh, I saw this preacher online that said, hey, pastor, you should check out this, you know, what this preacher says about the end of the world because it's really cool. And so sometimes I go to check it out and it's something completely different. So it's when the church starts having different ideas of what we believe. Having different mind. And that's when we start listening to other shepherds too, right? Instead of the shepherds that have been placed over us. I often, you know, we talk upstairs uh, when it comes to... One of the big questions we ask people when they say... We like to be members of St. John. We say, are you willing? Are you willing to be under our pastoral care? Right? Our pastoral care. Not, hey, I want to go to St. John, but I might go to this church on this day, and I might go to, you know, listen to this and go here and blah, 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 blah. Are you willing to be under our pastoral care? That's an important question because when we start listening again to different people and different theologies and different ideas of what Jesus says and who Jesus is, then we are not of one mind. Right. Um, and again, I've seen this personally. Yeah, I could say more, but we can get stuck here. So, this thinking alike. 
It's not supposed to be robotic, but we should have, we should believe the same thing. I think that's fundamental, and it's fundamental for the church. Sympathetic. B, the word is, they use here. Sympathy, sympathetic. Suffer together. Sympathos, right? A shared passion. Common objects of love that the church must hold together. Not simply suffer together, but to have the same pathos. To, uh, one of the commentaries I read was so interesting. It said, it touched on the tender-hearted one, but it also talked about the, one of the commentaries I read was uh, written in England in 1950. And if it was a commentator in England in the 1950s, what was happening five or six years right before the commentary was being written? World War II. And in the commentary, he writes, yeah, you know, we just hear about bombings every day now. It's hard to be sympathetic. Right? Oh, you know, a bomb fell in you know, the town next door. Bombs fell in London. You know, it's hard to have a sympathetic mind because there's always bombs falling all the time. And I was like, man, that's so relevant to us. And it was just during World War II, right? World War II wasn't forever ago. And so, yeah, this whole feeling together. If a church starts to have a hard heart, everybody's going to get used to a hard-hearted church. Right? And again, tender heart is coming. It's in this list. But it come, it, it, there's a connection there to sympathetic, this feeling with one another. Somebody suffers and you say, Oh, well, there's somebody suffering again. Just another person suffering. Just another person going through this. Just another, just another. And the church becomes hard. And there's nothing worse. There's nothing more unattractive than a hard-hearted, unsympathetic church. That's the exact opposite of Christ. It's not just... Oh, I want this church to be fun. I want this church to be warm. I want this church to uh, 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 gather people and for the sake of it. No. When the church is cold, the church is anti-Christ. When the church is not sympathetic, when the church is not tender-hearted, the church is anti-Christ. So it's not these things for these things' sakes. It's not being sympathetic or having one mind for unity's sake, right? If it was for unity's sake, we would join another group out there, a secular group where everybody thinks the same. That's not, it's the like Christness of it. Next point, loving as brothers, as though you're related, because you are. An objective kinship among members. Objective kinship, not subjective, not I feel like Kirby's a sister of mine, because we laugh about this when we talk about this and we have such a good energy. That's not what it's talking about. It's objective. It's like, no, 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 you are. Regardless how you feel about Kirby, you are. You are. It's very objective. As relationship that, a relationship that transcends the feelings of mutual affection. Exactly. So this, I borrowed a lot from uh, this author, Henrik. I have him on the bottom. Um, he's very good. He's up in Canada. I uh, wrote to him about that I'm using his uh, book and I'm having fun using his commentary. Most of it. We uphold, serve, and look out for one another. We belong together. And that starts to sound just like a quip or a trope or like something that we just say. Um, but it's so real. We belong together. Objectively. Not just because we live in the same area and we have similar interests or we grew up together, or we have similar histories, or, 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 or. It's just so objective. It's, no, no, no. Here it is. Christ put you here. Christ put you together. Love each other as 
brothers, brethren, brotherly love. For extra credit here, what's, uh, what's the word in Greek? Something about Philadelphia. That's right, man. He uses Philadelphoi, right? Foi is uh, plural, right? So, um, with brotherly love, Philadelphoi. Yeah. Tender-hearted, sensitive to each other, stand in basic openness to one another, responding from the heart to their joys, sorrows, needs, and affections. Yeah. Tender heart. Humble. Count yourselves no higher than anyone else. We've seen that humility is absolutely foundational in 1 Peter. It's what he's been talking about throughout this B subject section. We become servants of one another, giving ourselves as gifts to the whole body for its building up. You're a precious stone, as Peter says. But at the end of the day, a house cannot be built with one stone, right? And if you start to think that way, then you say, hmm, that's right. Christ doesn't need just me. We need each other to build this beautiful spiritual house. If I say, oh, I'm a precious stone, that means God is talking to me like I'm a ruby or a diamond. I don't think that's what he's talking about. He's talking about a precious house, right? That is being built of the church. So if you're a precious stone, you can either say, oh, look at me, I'm a precious stone. Or you could say, no, 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 I'm a, actually a stone that something's being built out of. And you start thinking that when you say, yeah, okay. I'm just a stone. But a precious stone that works together with other ones to build, to be built. Actually, passive verb. Where else does he talk about humility? Peter does. Who's the... Wives. Say again? Wives, but uh, I don't want to give away the answer too much. I, want you to, I just want you to know what I'm thinking, Leah. I just want you to get in here. The, uh, the epitome of uh, humility is... Christ, right? And so he talks about that, especially when he's talking about uh, servants, right? This epitome of humility is Christ. So be humble. So, my, the bold line here that I wrote is, this is the life of the church because it is the life of Christ. So you look at those adjectives, one mind, sympathetic, loving, tender-hearted, humble. And you say, I don't like one of those. Or, I don't know if my church can. That's really not for us. Being this kind, living this kind of life is really not for us. You are saying, we're not open to being like Christ. Because um, Peter is not pulling this out of his back pocket. Right? He lived with this guy who was all this. He got to experience, taste that the Lord was good, in his own words. He got to taste the tenderheartedness, the sympathy, the brotherly love, the unity, the humility. He also got to see firsthand what it was like to be of not one mind, unsympathetic, unloving, hard-hearted, and proud. He got to see all of that around him too. Right? So, we get all of this beautiful stuff in verse 8. And then in verse 9, he says, but you know what? You tell me. What's in verse 9? Right? He gives us all this wonderful, this wonderful picture in verse 8. 
And then in verse 9, he throws us what? Huh? So what is he throwing at us? Reality. I don't want you to say verse 8 is not reality. And verse 9, that would be very much against what we're going at here. And I, no, exactly. But it would be very easy for us to say this. It would be very easy for us to say, look at this beautiful picture in verse 8. But of course he knows that we can't do verse 8 because he mentions verse 9. That would be the worst. My goodness, I knew somebody who said, I don't like the Beatitudes because they're too difficult. Right, but you know what this per you know what you know what this person was saying, right? Like he could get into their mind, and they were saying, "It's too heavy." So I don't like talking about it because it is it is high expectations, but it's Jesus' expectations, and Jesus is here, and Jesus is in me, and Jesus is in this room, and Jesus is in this community. This is His church. He's not throwing us to the dogs. So in verse eight. On verse 9, we get this, okay, so what's going to happen? Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Here's something interesting, I think. Do not repay evil for evil. Give me some examples of some evil that Peter might be talking about. Don't think too hard. Hold on. You said persecution. You said something nasty. Saying something nasty. Saying something nasty. You said gossip, and so and uh, Carol. Persecution. Persecution. Or just living in your family, and somebody wakes up in your family, and it's a bad day. I love the answers because all the answers are dead right to what I was thinking. Where's the persecution going to come from? Um, could come from each other if one is not being humble enough or it could come from okay so let me let me change okay let me change the way i asked the question the world we live in. it's the first century and when we say persecution what are we talking about yeah right outside Evil is always in the outside, and the church is just so good all the time that all the evil that happens in the church is from the outside. But you said the word... Gossip inside. <laughs> because how does he start sec uh, verse 8? Let us be a one. No, the first word. Finally, all of you. Oh, right. <laughs> If he's still talking to the people in the place that he's talking to, yeah. he's talking to them about doing to each other. So you could certainly read it that way. Yeah. So it's very easy for us to read verse 9 and say it's the evil from the outside that he's talking about. It's the reviling from the outside that he's talking about. Right. But think about it now in this like little community that he's talking to right a church may be half the size of this room right this is the number of people that one of these letters is going that this letter again remember it's circular letter so it's not just for one community but it's for i don't know six or yeah about six communities so think about it the church is this big and so evil for evil reviling for reviling <laughs> So I wrote, in the middle of this wonderful life, evil and insults still occur. He's brutally honest about this reality and how he ought to act. Do not pay back or return the evil done to you. Let you pay them. That's my clunky grammar, but I was trying to make it different. Let you pay them with a blessing. That's why you're the church. That you might be heirs of a blessing. How did the translation get from obtain get in there? That doesn't seem to be the same word. Or did it mean something different? No. I'm still trying to figure out the answer to that question. Yeah, because when you look at older versions, and nobody has here, nobody has a KJV or an NKJV. Does anybody? No. No, but I think it's it's I think it's inherent. 
ye may obtain, or ye may inherit a blessing or something, or be heirs of a blessing. So I don't know. I don't know. But so when it talks about that you may inherit a blessing, in this verse itself, bless for this you were called, that you may inherit a blessing. So person A does evil to person B. Person B doesn't repay with evil, but repays with a blessing. Person B has just paid person A with a blessing. What has person A received that they were not worthy of, or they did nothing to get? A blessing. They were heirs of a blessing. So we could think of, oh, we're going to be heirs of a blessing when Jesus comes back. Or you can say, man, I was an heir of a blessing today because I was a jerk and somebody actually blessed me. I said, God be with you. In that way, yeah. give a blessing, you also receive a blessing. Give a blessing, and how so? Because that's what... Jesus wants you to do. So in yourself, when you give a blessing, you're acting as Jesus would be. Yeah. And so you're you're fulfilling that. Yeah. So yeah, you're yeah, yeah. a blessing to someone, so you're also That's right. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, Holly. Uh, I've been rereading this a few times and when I first thought about inheriting a blessing, I was thinking about eternal life. But I don't think that's what's happening here. It's like you've already received that, but you can you can inherit blessings within your Christian life. Um, yeah. Or you can, or you can be a curmudgeon Christian. It's, you're still saved, but there's a better way to live yeah. in a holy family. Yeah. Um, Depending on what denomination you read, commentaries from different denominations, and then commentaries of different periods in Christian history, you'll find people saying you'll inherit a blessing. Of course it's the end of the world when Jesus comes back. It couldn't be anywhere, anything else because these people are suffering. So the only time they'll inherit a blessing is when Jesus comes back because they're miserable Christians. Then you would hear people saying, actually, why not both? Why not? And then, of course, there are the people that are saying, Jesus is never going to come back, and this is just like a little thing, a feel-good thing that people are writing, and blah, blah, blah. You know, these are like the post, not the postmodern, but the um, higher critics. But leaving them aside, you get this, why not now? Because inherit means to get something... You did nothing for, as a matter of fact, in the prodigal son, you did something bad and you received, right? You wished death on your father and you received an inheritance. So when I say, hey, you can be a jerk, like you're saying, right, you can be a curmudgeon, or you can actually live this life of inheriting blessings from, different, from Jesus, and from the other Christians in the room. All right? Kirby? I grew up in a big church, Bethany, and my husband also grew up in a big church, but when we moved to New Jersey, we had very few options. So our church was about 40 people, and I was in my 20s and more mature than that. And I, when there's a limited amount of people, some of them are annoying. <laughs> are annoying. <laughs> And you're like, oh, these are the people that I have to see. There, there's no smaller groups, you know, you're with Yes, like yes, yes, yes. Or that you like. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I, I, that was a, a very learning experience time for me. Yeah. I started to realize, hey, I think I might be kind of annoying to these people. <laughs> oh, sure, sure, or sure, I sure. in a way they don't like. So I... Like I learned a lot that we're a little bit of we're all on the same 
family. Yeah. That there was a blessing in there. I'm trying to say there was a blessing in me to learn about that. I, I can't, I'm not trying to describe it exactly. Yeah. I learned something about being in a smaller group of not of my choosing and how yeah. to love people and they love me right. too, even though they may not have wanted to be best friends with me. Right, so right, right. Thing together. Yeah. yeah. It's that objectivity, right? This yes. is where you were placed and these are your brothers and sisters. Yes. Now. And I'd never been in a situation like that before where we were just this group together. Yeah, right. We were going to be a family together. Right. Operate in a good way together. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go there and then I'll go here. Somebody, uh, Leah? Yeah, it seems almost like you read it as like, you know, just like the Lord's Prayer, forgive others for your trespasses, so that you can be forgiven for your trespasses. It's almost like that's a specific example of the blessing that you could be given this forgiveness. Yeah. It's almost like he's rewriting that part of the Lord's Prayer. Right. Yeah. We. She said that this part uh, is almost like a rewriting, and uh, correct me if I say something you didn't, Leah, of rewriting almost of the Lord's Prayer. Because the Lord's Prayer says, forgive those who trespass against you. Yeah, right. So in this forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer that we receive is, can be encompassed in this blessing that we receive. What if this uh, blessing that we are inheriting is forgiveness from somebody or from God? Right? Did I say too much or too little? Oh, I look at Bible Gateway at all the English translations, and most of them say inherit, except for the ESV and the RSV. Yeah. Say obtain. But I like inherit because in order for you to inherit something, somebody has to die. Yes. And Jesus, of course, died for us, but we have to die to ourselves. Yeah. And that would bring us the compassion and the sympathy. Oh, yeah. If we die to ourselves, right. then we are more other community directed. Um, yeah. We could uh, do an entire Bible study series on what falls under the word blessing, right? That you may inherit a blessing because it could be eternal life or it could be every single thing from the day Jesus won you with the Holy Water's baptism to the day of his coming. Everything in there could be very specific or very wide. Uh, next week, we're going to take a field trip to uh, Crossways to see why they, uh, and go over there, march with, uh, you know, with banners to see why they translated it as, uh, as obtain a blessing. We're going we're gonna, to gonna march on Crossway. Mar hey man, it's walking distance, right? It is Crossway, right? So we're not going to do that. So you're listening at home. Um, and then, to close out, there is the last section which, if you uh, have read ahead or looked at your footnote, is Psalm 34. And this should make you feel, we're Lutherans, so we don't feel anything, but this should make you feel nice and warm and cuddly and loved, this psalm that Peter puts in there. For this you are called that you obtain a blessing. For... Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears open to their prayer. And the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So I used two lines here from, I uh, heard it from Pastor Bruzik, but yeah. We touch good. We don't touch evil. I didn't put the word should in there. We should 
touch good. We shouldn't touch evil. Because that's an expectation. I don't like that. We touch good. We're Christians. We touch good. It's just what we do. So I don't like the expectation, but rather the, 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 M, the, the MO, the modus operandi, just the way we work, the way we're wired. We just touch good. And we don't touch evil. That's, this whole, that's that whole section. And we live out of abundance because we pursue peace and not miserliness. Or we're just satisfied with just tolerating each other. And we pursue this beauty that peace is. Ah, and then the last line. Jesus loves to look at you and listen to you. So let's keep going. And where does it say that in the text? Verse 12. The eyes of the Lord are on His righteous and His ears open to their prayer. The eyes of the Lord are on you. His righteous. He loves to look at you. God found favor in the eyes of Noah or something like that, right? Isn't that what it says in Genesis? So eyes. He loves to look at you. And I think that's a beautiful way to wrap that up is Psalm 34. Of course, Psalm 34 is much bigger than that, but just, that's just a section of Psalm 34. So that's it. We live this life because it is Jesus' life. The church's life is Jesus' life. The church's life is not apart from Jesus. It's not Jesus is doing His own thing and the church is doing her own thing. We live like Jesus. And that's what Peter just said. Humility, tenderheartedness, sympathy, brotherly love, and unity. I think I have that in reverse order, but th those are the five that He gives us. And it's beautiful because the Lord loves to look at you and me. And He hears you and me. So we say our prayers and we tell Him we love Him back. Right? Anything else before we uh, close shop? Thank you guys all for coming on this uh, drizzly. It was drizzly when I looked out there. It might still be drizzly out there. Anything else? Uh, announcements before we, we go? All right. This is beautiful. We'll pray and we'll go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. See you next week.